Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a Columbus Day reflection on Christopher Columbus. His accidental discovery of the new world has been put into a different perspective in recent years and means different things to different people. He has fallen into disfavor with many to such a degree that there is an effort here to literally take him off the hero's pedestal. That includes a local effort to remove the statue honoring Columbus in Tower Grove Park. We'll be talking about that with Tower Grove Park Executive Director Bill Reininger, and we'll put the Christopher Columbus story into historical perspective with Peter Castor, Associate Professor of History and American Culture Studies at Washington University. But first, we'll begin with Bill Reininger. Bill, thanks for joining us by phone. My pleasure. Uh, a protest a demonstration was scheduled for your park today uh, because of this statue controversy. Uh, it was scheduled to start at noon. What's going on? Uh, it's just shortly afternoon, so I'm, uh, folks are starting to gather. I'm not sure exactly how many will be here. I know there was uh, under 200 that had uh, said they were going on Facebook, but I'm not sure how, how well those numbers translate. You you have uh, are expecting folks, as I understand it, who are both pro-Columbus and anti-Columbus, if I can put it that way. Correct. All right. Okay, well, we'll wait it out and see what's uh, going to be happening, and uh, it's just unfolding as we speak. Let's talk a little bit more about this controversy from your perspective in the park. Uh, I know you're going to be taking a closer look at it with a a special commission to decide what to do about that statue. Where are you right now? So we have formed the commission. We have all the participants identified, and our first, first meeting is set for the end of the month. We have representatives from the Native American community, the Italian-American community, uh, representatives from the cultural institutions, such as the Missouri History Museum and the St. Louis Art Museum. Uh, And we also have somebody from National Park Service. Uh, You know, the Park Service work uh, is involved in these types of uh, discussions nationally, but uh, for us particularly, we are a National Historic Landmark, only one of seven uh, parks in the U.S. with that designation, and that designation comes through the National Park Service. So they're involved in that capacity as well. We also have a representative from Black Lives Matter and from the activist group. So because of your status as a park, uh, is that going to have an impact on what can be done or should be done about that particular statue? Uh, there are possible implications. All the statues uh, and structures in the park are contributing elements to our National Historic Landmark status. So we really have to have those kind of conversations to find out uh, if or uh, if those will have an impact or not. What, uh, what are the options that this commission will be looking at? Really, the commission, the statute commission will be, you know, driving their own work. You know, there, there's a whole gamut of possibilities that have occurred throughout the country, from uh, leaving it remain to uh, having it removed to things in the middle, such as uh, using interpretive signage to better showcase the the history from both points of view on that. So there, there's a whole gamut of opportunity within there for the commission to make a recommendation. Well, there seems to be a growing movement in the country right now to, uh, to, to, to change attitude with regard to Christopher Columbus. Columbus, Ohio, as a matter of fact, is making some changes uh, today with regard to its designation on Columbus Day. So we'll, we'll have to watch this very closely and see what, uh, what finally comes of this commission. When do you expect to have some sort of a result from this group? 
Um, they're probably going to need to meet uh, three to four times, so I would say probably beginning of 2019. What sort of comments have you been hearing from people in the park with regard to this? Um, uh, varying, as you would expect. Some saying take it down. Some are saying that you cannot erase history, that you know to remove it really does um, you know lead to the possibility of repeating it. And then a lot of people saying, let's learn from it. Let's use this as a opportunity with interpretive signage to start conversations versus it being removed and not having the opportunity to have those conversations. As, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, that statue also has an interesting history to it, uh, which is different than most of the statues of Columbus throughout the country in the fact that uh, there's three statues in the park that were put there uh, which have made the immigrant class at the time feel welcome to not only the park, but St. Louis and the country. So for Christopher Columbus, it was the Italian-Americans. Uh, we have one of von Humboldt for the German-Americans and Shakespeare for for Henry Shaw and other Englishmen. So the the way that that statue has been utilized is to make people feel welcome and to celebrate those uh, those immigrants. So it's a little bit different than just um, clear-cut, especially within our case. Uh, ours is different than most uh, in the country. So, certainly a, a part of this overall story. How long has it been there? It was erected in 1886, so over 130 years ago. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add? We're going to hear from some of the visitors to the park in just a moment, but anything that uh, you'd like to add to this uh, story at this point? No, I appreciate the the opportunity to talk a little bit about the history and uh, our inclusive process with the commission. Well, we'll talk more about that history with Peter Castor in in just a moment. Thank you so much, Bill, for being with us, and I hope things turn out well for you and and the park this afternoon with all those people milling around. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Bill Reininger up with the uh, Tower Grove Park. Uh, he had talked, uh, mentioned uh, what some of the people are saying about the uh, statue and its future. We uh, sent our producer, Zandra Ellen, to the park recently to get some input from folks there about what they thought about that uh, Christopher Columbus statue. Here's what they had to say. I could go both ways. I mean, I think all kids grow up thinking he discovered America and then pretty quickly learned that he really didn't, but his um, contributions were important. And I think as statues go in this country that, you know, there's debate about, I'm speaking as a a white middle-class woman, this one isn't high on my list of one that needs to go. But I can understand if they decide to take it out. My thoughts are that it's been 500 years, he wasn't perfect but he still did what he did. This is part of, I believe, a larger movement to remove all the history from this country, one piece at a time. And I'm tired of it. If people are offended by our history, they need to get over it or do something other than destroy the history or attempt to destroy it. He's not really um, the exact person who was here in America first. I don't know if if it's necessary to glorify it and have a statue. But at the same time, I have heard from one of my history professors that if you erase history, then it has, um, there's a fear of it repeating itself. I'm not a native or a person of color, so it's hard for me to have like a very passionate and personal stance on it. But 
honestly, I had no idea that that's even who that was, and I don't know why that would even be necessary to be in our park at all. So, I mean, if it's been there for that long a time and it hasn't hurt anybody now, why take it down? It has nothing to do with a racial or anything. It's a statue. What's that going to do? Take it off. I mean, you're going to tear it down, put something else up, and so what? Happened 100 years ago. Let it lie. Visitors at Tower Grove Park talking about the Christopher Columbus statue in the park, which is the subject of some controversy, as we've been discussing, because of uh, many things. Well, Peter Castor from Washington University, historian, is with us in studio to put all of this in some uh, historical uh, perspective. Peter, what do you make of all of this? I think it's really fascinating. And I just have to admit that as a historian, what I love about it is One of the concerns people have is the notion that these debates about whether to remove statues are somehow going to enable us to lose our history. But I would suggest think about how much Americans learned over the last year about the Civil War, about Jim Crow from in all of the debates about removing Mm -hmm. statues, uh, that this is often how Americans learn their history. And Columbus is particularly difficult because – To some people, and as Bill was saying, especially to Italian-Americans in St. Louis, Columbus was their way of feeling like they were part of the national community at a time when they were at the receiving end in the 19th and early 20th centuries of a lot of negative stereotypes, a lot of criticism. But at the same time, Christopher Columbus really did begin a floodgate. He was not the first European to arrive in the Americas, but his arrival helped bring about the arrival of a lot of other Europeans, which had horrific, devastating genocidal effects for the native peoples who, who lived here. Yeah, that, that's the, the main case I think yes. that pe- people are making, no question about. Well, what's the, what's the best case you can make for Christopher Columbus? The best case I can make for keeping the statue well, or just for just, Christopher for, Columbus? For Christopher Columbus, So yeah. one thing is Christopher Columbus was an extraordinary mariner. Hmm. His ability to imagine uh, his, his ability and his ambition to imagine this voyage to what he called the East Indies, which is, of course, where he was hoping to, to go, uh, and his capacity to make multiple voyages across the Atlantic at a time when Europeans knew so little about uh, not just the Americas, but about the Atlantic Ocean, when their technology was so limited. That was the basis for a lot of uh, Italian-American pride was the accomplishment of Columbus as a mariner. And that does remain. But I want to be very clear that, yes, he was a great mariner. But it isn't just that his arrival signaled the devastation that was to come, but he himself was part of that process. Right. Of course, he was sailing for Spain. And among the things he did, uh, I believe in the first, he made four voyages, Correct. as I recall, over a period of about a decade. Mm-hmm. He was fond of sending slaves back to Queen Isabel and King Ferdinand. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so the last place in the known Spanish world where he wa- was before setting off into the Atlantic was the Canary Islands. And that was the place that had that was really the laboratory for what Columbus and others like him would do in the Caribbean, which is you arrive at these islands, you first of all think in terms of the the resources that they have, but those resources included human beings. Mm -hmm. And Columbus, uh, it isn't just that he in some ways betrayed the friendship of some of the islanders who greeted him, but more specifically, he imagined that it was completely his right to subjugate people, to transport them against their will, to force them into labor against their will. There is no justification for that ever 
However, as you indicate, that's the way things were done back in 1492 in that era. Well, it was was an increasingly commonplace practice. And like many abhorrent practices, uh, he was... He was a part of that. And I'm not saying this is what was done then, therefore it was okay that he mm. did it. I'm actually saying it's the reverse of it, mm. which is this was commonplace because people like Christopher Columbus thought it was a completely appropriate thing to do. Yeah. We have to take a break. We're talking with Peter Castor. We're talking about Christopher Columbus on this Columbus Day as people are wondering just what his legacy actually is and should be. Back in just a moment, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, we'd like to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. Back in a moment, this is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back to our conversation about Christopher Columbus on this Columbus Day. Peter, one thing we certainly have to uh, to acknowledge is the fact that Christopher Columbus opened the door for Spain to the New World, and Spain played a tremendous role in our history on the mainland, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And St. Louisans in particular should know this because St. Louis, uh, the place that is now Missouri, was part of the Spanish Empire in the 18th century. And this is what – and it's so interesting because Columbus himself, of course, was Italian, but he represented Spain. And follow – even though he only went once to the mainland in, what, in South America, other Spaniards came and their capacity to conquer most of Central and South America, especially along the coastline, was from the Spanish perspective the great accomplishment of the 16th century from the perspective of the people who were living there. This moment's often called the Columbian Exchange, mm-hmm. not just in the arrival mm-hmm. of Europeans as people, but the, the animals, the crops, the diseases they brought. And a lot of people studying it estimate that in large portions of the Americas, there were up to 80, 90 percent population declines among native populations, principally from disease and also from warfare. And of course, the influence of the, of the Spanish uh, 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 lent all the way to this part of the country. Absolutely. I mean, right to the middle of the middle of America. Absolutely. This, yeah, the Spanish claimed all of uh, Central and South America and well up into North America. Yeah. You mentioned before you went on the air that uh, he died in disgrace. Mm-hmm. How so? Um, so it was not so much for his ocean-going navigation, but rather his administration in the Caribbean, that there were uh, – that he ruled with an iron fist over everyone who he governed and eventually reports got back to Spain. Not that he was mistreating uh, the islanders but that he was mistreating the first Spaniards who moved to the Caribbean. And uh, and he uh, – the, the, his claim was that he was just trying to establish order, that there were these people coming to seek their fortunes who wouldn't behave in an orderly way. For, and to make them be orderly, he would have to punish them. He would have to execute them. And the 
uh, eventual charge. It was something like maladministration or corruption or something like that. And he was literally hauled back to Spain in chains mm-hmm. and at one point said he wanted to be buried in his chains mm-hmm. uh, because, as, a, as a sign of his suffering. And he had a couple of brothers who uh, followed him over here, I guess maybe sailed with him at one point. Yes. And he left them uh, somewhere near the Bahamas, I suppose. Yeah, I, so. I can't remember exactly yeah. where they were. Uh, after his first expedition, in fact, he left something like 39 men who had traveled with him who were supposed to establish this outpost. And when he returned on his second expedition, I think they found 11 bodies. All of them were dead. Um, and they only found the bodies of 11 of them. It was, it was an incredibly – he survived these expeditions, but many people did not. It was incredibly risky. It was incredibly brutal. And didn't his crews bring with them the, the kinds of disease you alluded yes. to? Measles, syphilis? Smallpox. Smallpox. That's in the, over, the, over the centuries, measles and smallpox would prove to be among the most de- devastating diseases. And what was most remarkable is when – the native peoples of the Americas died. They, they, they wouldn't see it. They literally would not see it coming because these diseases were often transported by birds, by insects, by beasts. So before they even encountered a European, these diseases would arrive. And, and this was more common on the, on the mainland, on the, on the islands, which were relatively small. They would encounter the Europeans first. But the diseases were always moving ahead of the Europeans. All right. Let's take a couple of calls. We'll start with Savannah, who's calling from Baldwin. Savannah, thanks for being with us. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hello. My name is Savannah. I am 13 years old, and I actually did a project on Christopher Columbus, so I know what I'm talking about. And I think that the statue should be torn down. And I know what those people, I heard what those people said about it erasing history, but it's not erasing history. Like, the story of Christopher Columbus is like literally in every single history book there is. It's just not glorifying a man who did terrible things, like horrible, horrible things. And to me, the people that you asked the questions about, they all sounded white to me, and I don't think that is fair because Columbus was white. The white people, they, they don't really, they don't know. But black people, the black people were, they were tortured, they were pillaged by Christopher Columbus. They had all the bad things done to them. So I don't see why it's fair that only white people got to speak their opinion. Savannah, thank you so much for the call. I'm not sure whether all of the people you heard from were white. Sandra, can you, can you just not, they were. Well, so you have a point there, right? And she does have a point. She does. And first of all, I'd love to have her in a class of mine. Savannah, she's 13 years old, incredibly knowledgeable and speaks her mind. That's what I always want to see in students. And that is one of the things that Christopher Columbus was part of, the population transformation of the Western Hemisphere um, to a place that in the areas that it – and this is very different in different regions. But in what is now the United States, there is a very small population of – Native Americans uh, in comparison to non-Native Americans. And that is the the central issue here. One thing Savannah's point, I think, gets to is some people worry that tearing down statues destroys history. But the other way to think about it is also building those statues created a history, Mm -hmm. chose what history people were going to be taught, chose what histories they were supposed to remember. That's what makes the decisions about these statues 
so difficult. Right. We we have another caller, uh, Deanna, here, who's kind of on this same track, I think. Go ahead, Deanna. You're on the air. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the previous conversations kind of took the wind out of the sail of what I was going to say, but not necessarily. No, no pun intended um, there, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, maybe, if it works. <laughs> um, I am an African-American woman. I heard a lot of what was being said at the commentary about, you know, trying to destroy American history, things like that. And I find that kind of argument to be extraordinarily alarmist. You know, it's it, within the African-American community, we have a term called his story because he got to write the story to define his position within the world and within our and within our nation why not just be honest about it why not be more inclusive why not put you know monuments of nate turner and and things like that and and bring into perspective what actually happened rather than relying upon the i cannot tell a lie with a cherry tree or the kinds of you know infantile lies we have been taught throughout our history to make us feel better about his story and not being all, all of us being Americans. You know, I don't understand why it's so painful and why it has to turn into an alarmist argument of you're destroying our history. Diana, thank you for the call. Well, you're the history teacher, Peter. Uh, you're not teaching infantile lies, are you? No, I'm not. And what I really like in what she said is that when you do history well, when you teach it well, you're ideally as a teacher and your students should be comfortable not just hearing what they agree with, hearing stories that and hearing about a past that they didn't know about. They learn with it so that people learn what they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And often that means hearing things that are surprising or that really are at odds with things you really believe and hold very dear to your heart. I, I think she's spot on uh, about this. All right. Well, let's take another call. A lot of people are interested in uh, voicing their opinion on this. We'll take uh, Sandra's call. Go ahead, Sandra. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, I just have a question regarding instead of taking down the statues that only teach the one side of history, why not direct next to it additional statues that then teach the whole story, and plaques that say, we've learned what they did was wrong. Okay, thank you for the thought. I think that's one of the things this commission is going to be uh, looking at. And, you know, there are two really interesting things from that. One is it reminds us that statues, which we often look at, and we sometimes judge them aesthetically. Does it look good? Is is the the artwork good? But that... I'll be the first to admit, I teach in a classroom, but that's only one of the ways that Americans learn about their history. Statues are one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded that to mark the uh, 400th anniversary of Columbus's arrival, there were plans for two major – there were two competing movies that were going to be about Christopher Columbus. And at the end of the day, not only – they were consumed in controversy over exactly these issues. And at the end of the day, both movies were unsuccessful because movies are supposed to celebrate their heroes – but the filmmakers kind of tried to acknowledge what, what Columbus did and what happened as a result of his arrival and, and 
the movies just couldn't work in telling history that mm-hmm. way. It's it's very difficult to do this. I, I gather from an off-air conversation you had with Bill Reiniger at Tower mm-hmm. Grove Park that you might, may be involved with uh, some input with this commission. I, I don't know. I, I'd love to. But more importantly, I think the way he's handling it is just the right way. Um, you know, someone asked me once, what do you think they should do with the statue? I said that they should do ex- exactly what this commission is going to do, that, you know, rather than – uh, with some of the other monument and statue controversies over the last few years, we've had people who've immediately said, we are not getting rid of this statue, mm-hmm. rather than saying the decision about what to do with the statue should be a community-building exercise. Mm-hmm. It should be an exercise in civic education. And I like the fact that they're uh, thinking about it that way. So therefore, you would uh, you would support something perhaps like having something adjacent to it or involved with it would give a further explanation of the of the Columbus story. That might be one way to do it if the decision were not to remove the statue. I think what is frankly more important is that is that in all these cases that there be a commission so that the final decision on any one of these isn't something that is imposed because that's always unsatisfying to people. That rather it's something that, you know, it's on, on these kinds of issues, you're never going to satisfy everybody. But the goal is that making the decision should be the kind of process that gets people to actually have a serious conversation about the past. And that's when the composition of the commission becomes an it, issue and it very does. important. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take another call here. Jay joins us from Normandy. Jay, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, I'm starting to come around a little bit, but the one caller from the young lady, that was ridiculous. Times and values were way different back then and uh, during the time of Columbus. I could maybe see doing away with a, a, a national holiday, but pulling down statues is going way beyond what's needed. Leave history alone to that effect. The statue's fine where it is. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks for that sentiment. We have uh, this point of view from Frida, one of our listeners, saying, yes, it needs to be removed. Let's something that reflects our more honorable values of respect and love of inclusiveness uh, for all. There are two de- very definite sides of there this. There are. Be- be- people who have one or the other are very emphatic about it. Well, and it. here's one thing to think about. Sometimes people say, oh, they're just statues. But look at what it generates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, look at the trouble that happens when people say tear down the statues. Not at all. There are often times where decisions to remove a statue is appropriate. It's both – it's ethically appropriate and it's historically appropriate. Um, but it, it's a reminder that me- these statues were built to send a message. And the decision to make Christopher Columbus, to situate him at the center of our national history, the start of it which uh, was a decision that was, wasn't was some you know secret conspiracy. Rather, lots of people decided it was going to start with Columbus. And that happened in the late 19th century because they knew that was going to send a message and that was going to have an impact. And discussions such as these all over the country are giving people an opportunity to learn more about think, Columbus yeah. and that history than they ever probably knew before. Exactly. I think it's wonderful. Right. Elena joins us from Normandy. She's an eighth grade teacher. Go ahead, Elena. Hi, how are you? Good, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to preface um, my statements that my am an eighth grade history teacher, and I did not know about Columbus and all of his atrocities until I started studying history intently in college. Um, and I have been introducing the topic of is Columbus a hero or not to my eighth graders. Um, and they personally have gathered their opinions that he is not only not a hero, 
but somebody that should not be allowed to be um, ceremonialized. He um, was not only somebody that was put in U.S. history, but as the professor just said, um, he was made into a holiday because of a political statement. And I think it's really important, as a few of our listeners have said before, to not hide history and just to say the truth. Um, I am a white teacher. I am teaching all black students. And it is really important to make sure that everybody has all the facts, no matter their race. Um, and especially if somebody has, you know, a certain stigma about uh, somebody in history, because it is oppressive and offensive, it is very important that we include all of our citizens. And that includes our students as well. Elena, thank you so much for the call. No, no disagreement there from, from uh, Peter Castor. Mm-hmm. Time's winding down. I want to take one more call in because I think Michael in St. Louis gets to a point I wanted to raise also. So go ahead, Michael. Sir, um, the thing I'd like to point out is how just all of history has been preempted uh, with uh, all the way up to 1492 and just basically dismiss uh, anything important that happened prior to then. It does, uh, our, our history of Christopher Columbus does not even include his own logs, which uh, are largely affected by the African American uh, community. He says in his own logs, the trip to India is a perilous trip, but the Africans know the way. He said that. They don't, they don't talk about uh, uh, the, the, uh, the gentleman, I think his name was Pedro Nina, normally referred to as El Negro, which meant the black who was a Moor, who was a navigator on one of the ships that went to the Americas. They don't talk about him becoming wealthy. They don't talk about him being thrown in jail because he didn't pay his taxes on his wealth that he got from the New World, they don't even talk about the American Indians who also bred with the Omax, who were Africans who lived in South America, which are the fathers and mothers of the so-called American Indians. So, so much of history has been preempted to give a positive European spin to it. Michael, thank you for the call. Peter, uh, he's on target, isn't he? He is. And one of the things that serves as uh, a reminder of is that this Atlantic world that Columbus was operating in was never an entirely uh, European Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, that, in fact, the Atlantic, which you think is huge and empty, it's actually across the Atlantic that the people from multiple continents were coming into contact. At, at, at basically, at the moment when the technological breakthrough in these ships makes it possible for people to cover long distances. One quick question before we have to move along. Sure. Who should get credit for discovering America? Life Erickson and the Vikings or Amerigo Vespucci? <laughs> well, uh, uh, no, it's, it's the native settlers who arrived thousands of years before them. They were the people who discovered um, the Americas. Um, uh, among the Europeans... Uh, it's probably not even Leif Erikson. There, there are signs that there may have been uh, other Scandinavians who arrived about 500 years before Columbus. Huh. Um, but I'm, I'm biased. My grandmother was Danish, so I always, <laughs> I always say the Vikings did it, yeah, the Vikings uh, for better did. or worse. Peter Castor, thanks so much. Very interesting discussion on this Columbus Day. Thank you for being with us. Our favorite historian here, Washington University's Peter Castor. And Bill Reinecke, thank him, too. He's the executive director of Tower Grove Park.